Welcome to How Did You Manage That? This is a podcast where we talk to music managers about their journeys, the lows, the highs, and everything in between. My name's Ali. My name's Sophie. And this podcast is all about getting inside the minds of some of the managers behind the biggest act in the planet. Hold on, Ali. I think we need to say that it's not just the biggest managers in the planet. We're also going to be talking to new managers about how they're doing it right now, breaking acts through new methods. So it's not all super superstars. Yeah, this is a podcast about innovation, about what goes on behind the scenes on making an artist's career from the very start to the dizzying heights of the music industry. It's worth saying that Ali and I both work in the music industry and have worked in all the different sides of it. But like anyone, we're always still learning and we thought we'd start this podcast because there's so many people out there with amazing knowledge, especially around music management. Some of my favourite lessons I've learned in music are from just sitting down over a pint or a coffee and meeting someone new. So we thought we'd try and make a podcast out of that. This podcast is brought to you by the Music Managers Forum, aka the MMF, who are the largest collective of professional music managers in the world and are there to support you as a manager. So if you're thinking of becoming a manager, check them out at the MMF.net. And we are incredibly lucky to be sponsored and supported by AWOL. AWOL is Cobalt's unique alternative to the traditional music label, empowering artists and independent labels to make, release and market the music that they love. So a massive thanks to them because without that help, we would not have the time to make this podcast. Right, let's get into it. We are so excited to kick off our first ever episode of How Did You Manage That? with a pretty special and incredible and lovely manager by the name of Jamie Oborn. Most people will know Jamie as the manager of the phenomenally successful global super act in 1975 with his management company All On Red. But he also owns and runs the record label Dirty Hit, which is home to loads of amazing artists such as the 1975, Wolf Alice, No Rome, Pale Waves, Japanese House, and just loads more incredible talent. So not long after the 1975's third album was released, Jamie invited Sophie and I down to the Dirty Hit offices in West London to chat about his amazing journey in music management, to share some of his stories and wisdom at the same time. And he has got a heck of a lot of that. Oh, and a quick little disclaimer. Most of these interviews took place in coffee shops, offices, backstage at gigs. So there might be a little bit of background noise, but hey, that's atmosphere, right? And in music management, nothing's ever perfect. So without any further ado, here is the excellent Jamie Oborn, manager of the 1975. We're in West London. Uh, Jamie has very kindly taken the time to sit with us. Thank you very much. You're welcome. How's your Tuesday going? It's going very well, thank you. Welcome to Dirty Hat. Thank you. It's a beautiful office. There's quite a few things in the wall. Slash all on red, right? Yeah. Okay, just checking. <laughs> That's the management side and it's a management podcast. Yes. How long <laughs> have you been here? Um, it'll be three years in September. Nice. And uh, is it, is it, it's obviously developed quite a lot. How many staff have we got here? We've got ten. But there's, I don't think, not everyone's here today. Some people are in America. Some people are in the UK. <laughs> just not here. <laughs> So one of the questions that we always start off with on the podcast is, what was your first experience of music that you remember? My f- the first experience of music? Um, yeah, my first, e- my first experience would have been 
just looking through different uh, LPs that my parents had and and being attracted to the uh, the artwork I think I remember I think it was Led Zeppelin 2 or maybe 3 whichever one has the the gyroscopic wheel yeah that was my first experience of music was looking at this record cover and just wondering what it held within it do you know what I mean because it was such a beautiful piece of art really the packaging yeah that was my probably my first memory of music and from your sort of first memory of music into who you are and what you do today mm. what do you think it means to be a manager today um what does it mean to be a manager well i guess the principle of management is to represent an artist so I, I I tend to I'm quite um, like ethically quite uh, stubborn when it comes to sort of my artists' careers and their rights and what that means and how they should be protected and and amplified or you know I, what am I trying to say I, it, the, the actual core principle of management management for me is artist facilitation and making sure that their careers become what they want them to become i'm not i don't know how to, i'm not explaining myself very well but i really try and like amplify without coloring i always say it's tr pushing it forwards on their terms you know and that's not to say that i don't challenge and you know argue like i mean geez like <laughs> you know <laughs> i have like strong opinions and stuff i'm not saying i don't have opinions but um, but ultimately, my core role is to make sure that their voice is heard and is undiluted. Mm -hmm. So let's take it right back to the start. Mm -hmm. How did you get into management? Um, I was in a band, and um, we had a record deal and stuff. And that when that ended, I went back to I went back to university as like a mature student. <laughs> Yeah, it was shit. <laughs> no, no, it's education's amazing. But I went, so I went to university, did my degree, and after that, um, just one night, I was with a friend of mine. We were chatting about my band actually, and and what what he was asking me what my perceived fa failings were, or why it didn't happen for me, and and aside from. I don't think my band was really good enough to ever compete with any, certainly any artists that I manage. Mm -hmm. um, so that was one factor. And then the other factor, I think, was the management company we were with at the time, were quite a big management company, mm -hmm. and their methodology seemed to be to take on a lot of artists and to not really do very much, mm -hmm. just to kind of wait and see kind of what happened and then they would mm -hmm. put their efforts into right. the stuff the yeah i mean <laughs> you know what it's i say that but i say it loosely because mm -hmm. i don't think my i don't think i should judge anyone on how perhaps i behaved mm -hmm. at that time as an artist you know because i don't think i necessarily was an easy artist to manage and certainly wasn't 
good enough to warrant how difficult it would have been to manage that. So it was a, a, out of that conversation, we decided to start a management company. Well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the next day, bizarrely, we found an artist. <laughs> and like within a few weeks, I signed to Island Records. And it was just like someone else's life. <laughs> <laughs> but do you know what? I'm selling myself short. It wasn't quite that quick, and um, it seemed very quick, but what I knew at the beginning was you needed to create conversation around you, and you needed to yeah. create something that people desired. So, a friend, I knew I needed to create some noise, so <laughs> I hired, like, I didn't hire, I met through um, a friend of mine, a f this girl like, who, I'm, who, I, who I was really friendly with, used oh. to go out with Brett Anderson, bizarrely. Not while I knew her, before I knew her. And, and I, her and I were chatting, and she was like, oh, you need to, be, you need to get a press agent. And I was like, yeah, of course, that's what exactly what you need. You know, telling her my theory. And she's like, oh, you need to just get a press agent, and they'll, yeah. they'll start some noise. And she was saying that she knew this guy, Phil Savage, from Savage and Best, back in the day. If you were a Britpop band, right. so if, and they were your press agents... You'd probably be on the cover of Enemy. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. So Phil Savage, <laughs> to be fair, created a bit of a conversation. Excellent. And we got a record deal. And um, yeah, and then that was the start of it. And that was an absolute disaster. <laughs> yeah. Um, because I didn't, I didn't really know what I was doing. But what I found was, what I find in life is that, you know, one learns how to do stuff by mm -hmm. trial and error. So... That was your journey into management and the first band that you managed that you said was signed to Island Records and then it all went to shit. Can I use that in the podcast? <laughs> so to speak. Um, and obviously one of the bands that you're most famously known for today is yeah. the 1975. Yeah. Can yeah. you tell us a bit about how you came across them, how you wooed them into letting <laughs> them letting you manage them, so yeah. to speak? Okay. Or it could be the other way. Maybe they wooed yeah, yeah. you. Do you know what? It was, very, it was very sort of organic. I was sent... I managed... I managed an, a band called One Night Only. Yeah, I remember them well. In fact, I yeah. think I had them play some very strange student radio in Stirling. Yeah, in yeah, the middle probably, of the yeah, yeah, yeah. Lovely guys, probably, yeah. lovely guys. And um, <laughs> and they did they did pretty good actually. Yeah. And um, through that band, I was I used to, I used to, I tour managed them as well to start with right. because you know that's what you do and you. Still, the way the manager gets paid <laughs> yeah. at the start. That's what that's what you got to do and um. And on on these early tours, I would always see like like loads of young kids, but I would see this one girl, and here we are. And I just had a daughter actually at the time, so maybe that counts why I noticed. Right? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And um, she was at all these gigs, different around the country, and she was super young, like maybe like fourteen. And one day when when she was buying a t-shirt, I said to her, "How come you're out of these shows? Like, do your parents know that you're travelling around? Like." watching bands yeah. because you know th these shows are hours apart and uh -huh. I'm seeing you at them and she was alone yeah well I thought she was and she's like oh yeah my dad's just, my dad's here too he's just <laughs> he also loves the band and I was like okay fair enough <laughs> and then um and then about a year later I got this random MySpace message this is in the day of MySpace excellent saying oh um my friend's friends in the band called Drive Like I Do mm -hmm. And um, and I just thought you'd like them, yeah. and here's a video. 
and it was a video it was the first version of a song called Robbers and it was a video for that song and yeah and I felt felt like I felt every time I hear that song and um so I tried to get a hold of them and it took a minute to get hold of Maggie <laughs> <laughs> of course makes perfect sense now <laughs> thought he was playing hard to get but he was just being i mean he was like a Oluf, maybe. he was just a you know just an artist yeah he was even then he was exactly the same he's completely obsessed with with his work you know uh-huh. and i eventually spoke to them and i drove up to manchester within the same week and sat down with them and they played in their rehearsal room and I thought I, I genuinely I mean you can tell I'm just oh. like I thought they were fucking amazing like oh. you know they'd been they, at that point they were like 16, 17 and they'd already been a band for like five years bloody hell do you know what I mean yeah. and like George the drummer was still like I mean even then you could tell he was going to be one of the best drummers in the world do oh. you know what I mean because he is like one of the best drummers in the world anyway so they were they were amazing and uh-huh. um, and after they finished playing I, I said like you know I want to manage you mm-hmm. um, I have a management company I've done this so far yep my you know I want to I want to you know I want to do as much as possible mm-hmm. and um, <laughs> Matthew is like Oh, you know, we really like you. We really want you to manage us. We don't have any money. <laughs> we can't pay you. And I was like, oh man, you know, that's that's it not matter how this works. because yeah. um, like you only like our that you know it doesn't work like that. Uh-huh. Like you, I only get paid if if you get paid. That's really interesting. It's something to touch on, I think, because obviously mm-hmm. part of this podcast is educating younger mm. managers and maybe younger acts who are listening to it and, and mm. trying to figure out what makes a good manager before they embark on looking for managers yeah, themselves. Yeah, yeah. And it's really interesting that you said that they thought that they would have to pay you. Yeah. And, but obviously it doesn't work like that. You you get a percentage of what they get. Yeah, and I yeah, think that's exactly. a really interesting thing to, yeah. to look at because... Yeah. 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 <laughs> I was just I was, thinking out loud. It's brain farting. <laughs> I was going to pick up on the fact of like a lot of things changed, obviously, from that moment when you met the guys, went up to Manchester to now management has probably changed hugely. We'll mm-hmm. get onto that in a minute. But one thing that probably hasn't changed is that building of a relationship. So no. Now, what's going on in the industry? How do you find that process of just going to meet some 16 year olds? You've just, did you say you just had a daughter at that time? Yeah. And you're just like, hey, how's it going? Mm. Is that a weird process for you even now with a label? Or do you embrace that? Um, I kind of love I love that bit to be honest. When I meet someone who, who I sort of connect with mm-hmm. like artistically, I I mean it's really special. Mm-hmm. What it's one of the, the reasons that I sort of get up. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah, I, I don't really know how to describe it. <laughs> but yeah, it's really special, isn't it? And I don't know if I get. I mean, sometimes. What I what I do what I do feel a lot when I'm in those situations is that you know, like say, like in a rehearsal room, like listening to someone mm-hmm. play, it's really intimate, right? And I think a lot of the time, one of the things I always say is I point out to to the artist in question that oh. it's equally as weird for me. Yeah, this situation is weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, and I, what I find is that sort of really makes it less weird. Totally. If I say yeah. to them. This is fucking weird. Yeah. Let's all embrace how fucking yeah. strange. Me standing in a yeah. room watching you play, yeah, yeah. and we're both trying to kind of impress each and other. And I tell them that I'm not going to clap and shit like that. 
just so it's not weird. And then I and then I and then I always clap, <laughs> which makes it weird again. <laughs> what else do you do when a band stop a song? I'm not going to clap. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Um, sorry, I've forgotten your question. Then. Totally. No, it was just about that initial meeting because that is such a strange thing. You're trying yeah. to form a relationship. But with I love someone. that. I love that. Uh-huh. And I, and you know what I find honestly, I think, and this is really important. If anyone is looking for management, like your trust, your instinct. Like I know immediately whether I'm going to get something or not. Mm-hmm. Like immediately, and I'm always right. Mm-hmm. And um and I think you know you sort of feel when you when you connect with someone. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? And sometimes it's funny actually because there's. Uh, the couple of times that I felt that, and then the obviously the artist hasn't, mm-hmm. they've kind of come back round. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Having noticed what I'm just talking about, and obviously, like I'm, I haven't ever gone back on it though because I just feel like it's forward. Yeah. Gaze right. Mm-hmm. Searching for that stuff. I don't think you can do it retrospectively. Yeah, that moment's almost gone. Yeah. Do you feel? And also like. Yeah, I, I don't know. We we I like we do things in quite a particular way here, and I sometimes it puts me off if people have put out too much music. And, right. Do you know what I mean? Haven't started the trajectory right. Um. So maybe better to move on to talking about the job itself. Mm. And let's get straight into. I would argue you'd probably have a better perspective than most of right now the challenges that face a music manager being able to see it from an area of pretty pretty damn high success. Yeah, yeah, the challenges. I mean, I always say that a good manager should understand the minutiae of a label and a good label should understand the minutiae of a manager's role. And, you know, I've sort of actively built that here, like we have. Mm-hmm. I Yeah, I am a manager, but I also like, own, I think, one of the leading UK independent record companies. Do you know what I mean? Maybe not in terms of revenue, mm-hmm. but but that's that's just time. In gonna, terms of profile, you know? yeah, you couldn't really argue with that. Yeah, and um, a good manager should understand like it's the label and a good label should understand the manager. Like, I I kind of I like we have both here, mm-hmm. and I've sort of like I kind of built that my I, the reason that I I built that on purpose was mm-hmm. because. You know, say like a, a band like Nine Seven Five, like no one wanted to sign them for starters, mm-hmm. like at all. Nobody actually, no one would sign them. Mm-hmm. Like three, three times. I don't mean three different labels. Yeah. I mean every label, three, three times. times. <laughs> wow. So like fifty passes, let's say. Wow. Globally. Yeah. <laughs> like mean, universal. You're trying every. <laughs> fuck off. <laughs> so um, which was baffling, I have to say, mm-hmm. and um. And whilst that was going on, I had I had signed a couple of deals with artists to other labels, and I had become acutely aware of the lead into the deal. Everyone wants to facilitate you, right? Uh-huh. You do the deal, and then you're facilitating the label. It's fucking weird. <laughs> like, how, like, how's that? Happen? Yeah. Like, how does that? How's that? Like, the natural shift. Mm-hmm. Is it because like I'm an inexperienced manager, and people don't listen to me, or is it just the culture? Mm-hmm. And I think it's maybe a bit of both. I think it's maybe twenty five percent of it was 
was me mm-hmm. not knowing how to like navigate that system yeah. effectively and convert that excitement yeah, which into, I know yeah. which I mm-hmm. kind of feel like now to do now mm-hmm. and the other part of it was just culturally you know mm-hmm. The 1975 do not have an artist proposition. Period. So mm-hmm. we, so we're not going to work with you. And I remember sitting in a planning meeting for another artist actually, and um, and the the, the first thing that the the president of the label said was who we selling records to, and um. Uh, which is a great point Good and question, obviously yeah. the first thing you should talk about and in our meetings I have to say mm-hmm. like I say that a lot like at Good. the beginning but it seemed bizarre that I I was what really struck me was that was the first time like any of that team had thought about that and I thought wow like you you know but this plan <laughs> has just chased? committed yeah. like fucking uh, their young adult life to you <laughs> and um, you've paid a lot of money for it and and you haven't even thought about who's selling records to. It's fucking bizarre. Yes. Um, so I, so I think, and initially, what I saw as a challenge was just retaining control and mm-hmm. retaining like the ability to actually amplify your artist's vision. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And now, obviously, the ch- ten years later, the challenges are of the. Like a tide, aren't they? So uh-huh. there's, there's, it depends on. Yeah, I guess the gatekeepers on. have changed. Yeah, a lot. I mean, it's funny though, because I, when I think about like the modern music landscape, even when I started, it was like really in kind of. It was kind of the end of, the, the historical record business, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And um, but for me, it was kind of all I knew, like. Mm-hmm. That you know, the bo- the trough of yeah. the market, if you like. So for me, it seemed like, you know, a sort of just another example of sort of kind of economic law that businesses mutate or they fail, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it never seemed like a scary place to me, mm-hmm. like chain, the chain, the mu- a mutating industry. Mm-hmm. It felt like a kind of a healthy, it felt like water finding its way, yeah. do you know what I mean? Rather than a dam, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, um, so, so that isn't a challenge, <laughs> but you know. But that's a really that's a really good skill to identify. Yeah, to, to have but, to be comfortable with yeah, that chaos. Yeah, I felt all right with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know. <laughs> Are the challenges? <laughs> Feeling comfortable with chaos is a whole <laughs> a whole podcast in itself. Yeah, <laughs> there's a serious. We part. we call. You should uh, start that. Yeah. Do you know that um, music for cars? Yeah, you've heard that yeah, term. Yeah, of yeah. course. And abbreviated is MFC. Right. Yeah. And Ed, who is the GM of Dirty Hair, mm-hmm. my right hand man now, mm-hmm. is um, we call we coined this expression "motherfucking chaos," <laughs> which is what, how we refer to the campaign. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know if that's a good campaign or a bad no, campaign. It's a great campaign. <laughs> it's a fucking brilliant campaign. No, it's amazing because it's yeah. like real time, right? Yes. It's like it's kind of you know it's it's uh, it's it's future uh-huh. you know what i mean it's good but yeah you've got to be able to write that you've got to be yeah, able it's, to just go it's really like it's <laughs> not it's not like a it's not like a, i don't know i've sometimes of i don't know i was about to say sometimes i really want to have a bit of 
There's an element of perfect storm there, I suppose. Yeah. Sometimes, I, so. I was going to say, sometimes I don't want it to be a storm, but then I do really. <laughs> Can't control the weather. Yeah. <laughs> but, it's, but it's definitely a first world problem. Yeah. I think a lot of younger managers that we've spoken to in this podcast mm. who are just starting out, they feel their challenges, particularly when it comes to deals and labels, is, and obviously you've probably seen both sides of this, everything is so data-driven at the moment. So a label won't touch their artist or look at their artist necessarily unless they've had so many million streams or, or whatever. And yeah. and I interviewed, a, a, you know, it's madness, I know. And I interviewed a younger manager earlier today okay. who was who was amazing, young woman, and she was saying how she doesn't care and all she wants to do is build from live. And live is the most important thing to her and she'll go and tour wherever the hell they can in the UK okay. and build the fans from there and it will come. Mm. And she said to me, We've had so much trouble just getting A and R's to get to the live shows. Even one is down is two doors down for one and one of the A and R's lives and he won't come. <laughs> so it's I always think it's really interesting how you navigate that challenge now because obviously you've seen both sides of it before. Streams were the ultimate sort of A yeah, and R tool. Yeah. And now yeah. you know, it's Yeah, I I mean I don't know, man. I it's not my language, you know what I mean? I don't really I signed something because I love it, not because, it's like I said a minute ago, if it's got like, if it's released too much music, sometimes it puts me off. Um, I think that manager's probably going to do really well. Hopefully. Um, yeah, I don't know, I do, I do, I do, data-driven signing, I mean, it's just not why I started label, you know, <laughs> yeah. I just, it just doesn't, it doesn't, it, I'm confused when people say that to me, genuinely, um, I think, I try, I don't know, I don't know, I, tr I sort of, I trust my own sort of feeling <laughs> on stuff, you know, really, I think, I don't, I don't mean that in an arrogant way, mm -hmm. but like we, I made this, I made a record by an artist called Ben Khan, Who's who's kind of a genius, but he's a little bit of a saboteur, if I'm being honest, self saboteur. But um, he's he's a genius, and we made this record, and I made it because I just think he's really important, and in I think in here's a good thing. So um, I always say to Matty, who is torn Matthew is kind of you know he's a classic example of a great front person in that massive ego no no self-worth do you know what I mean <laughs> great for making music terrible for mental health yeah do you know what I mean and the reason I say that is because you know he he will cripple himself thinking about what you're thinking about him do you know what I mean right and um, yet when he does his best work is when he's only thinking about the virtue in his work. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. and, um, and I always say, we have this thing, and I always, I always say to him, it's like, it sounds stupid saying it now, but I'm, I always say to him, oh, who was number one when Loaded by the Velvet Underground come out? Like, who was number one that week in America? And he's like, I don't fucking know. And I was like, exactly. Like, who gives a fuck yeah. do you know what I mean because go and have a look it's no one you've ever heard of mm -hmm. and yet we've all listened to that record and it was like number 160 do you know what I mean oh mm. so I hope that helps it's good it's good 
Here's a bit of a curveball one. If is there, and feel free to ignore this question if there's not, is there any decision, decision, good or bad, that you would reverse, that you've made in your management career? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that laugh means which one, or if that laugh means fuck off. Well, that laugh means so many, so many. <laughs> oh my God, that laugh means, means... <laughs> I don't know, I could upset so many people. <laughs> Um, no, nah, do you know what? Names. I don't really, honestly. I don't really yeah. live like that. I'm sort Good. of. I, I'm looking. I'm looking forward. I'm not, I don't really look backwards. I can't. I sort of fucking freaks me out. To be honest <laughs> with you, I, I'm getting that. I'm getting <laughs> if I can't, if I start thinking too much about, you know, because I've been getting a lot of that. I've been getting nice. I don't sound like being egotistical, and I'm not. You know, people often say like, you know, wow, it's like I'm fucking amazing. Like, mm-hmm. How 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 is this? How are you doing it? Yeah. Like, like Wolf Alice, Japanese House, you know, nine seventy five, you know, whoever. Like how you, no Rome, you know, how you, what how are you doing this? And I don't know. It's kind of confusing, isn't it? Because I don't really see what we're doing anything. We're just. Oh, it's not come overnight. In no, way. and I think that's the important thing. Yeah, no, it's not. No, it's not. It's not. It does seem sometimes feel fucking quick, though, man. Right. Like the last fifteen years feels mm-hmm. so quick. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I think some of the younger managers we've interviewed have the the sort of general consensus is they. I think I can say that they generally have not made any money off the acts that they first started managing for three years before they start making any mm-hmm. money that they could live by. That mm. means they don't have to have a secondary income source, mm. so to speak. And I suppose younger managers today, I mean, London rent prices are ridiculous, so it must be quite difficult to do yeah, that job. Yeah, totally. But I think that's, that's a really interesting thing because one of the things that we try and talk about a bit in the pod particularly for younger managers is the concept of money and managing it and the relationship you have with your artists and we had a manager I think when we were interviewing some Matt ATC yes. talking about when his band start first started making money he felt like he couldn't commission because he was like yeah. I can't commission 20 <laughs> quid that mm, makes me an asshole. Mm, like they barely can mm. afford the, the petrol to go to the gig mm. but then they, you could get in this weird thing where you're like well when do I actually start mm. commissioning and, and it's weird because it's not just a relationship to facilitate their creative process it's also to facilitate you living and yeah. being able to live and do the things you want to yeah. do and I think that's quite yeah I mean do you know what I was I was I guess speaking specifically about me i was i was very fortunate in that you know my now wife was always like god knows why but she was always <laughs> like she was really like like my number one supporter really, really? and you know was you know she had a job mm-hmm. when we first met and I was like this guy who wanted to manage bands and start a fucking <laughs> record label. And her parents were like, really? Sure you do, mate. Sure you do. And um, <laughs> do you know what I mean? So I, I was really, I was really fortunate, I think, that I, that I had that relationship. And mm-hmm. she like, obviously believed in what I was doing. And, and um, so that made things easier. But, but I didn't really start it to make mm-hmm. money. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I think if you're, I think honestly, like if your if your number one priority is making money from the get go, then you should probably like n- not choose such a. You should probably be a banker. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but, but but even in that, you still have to sort of 
you know, you still have to become a banker. Like, it's mm. not a case mm. of, you don't just, you, you got to do 10,000 hours. I mean, that's the same fucking everywhere. Do you know mm. what I mean? Just because you want to work in music doesn't mean you've got a whole pass to make money. Do you know what I mean? It's like, be better than everyone else. Find the best artists, you know, make good decisions. Streaming has, has taught us that you don't need to rush into deals if you don't want to. Do you know what I mean? Like, maybe, I don't know. I, but then, uh, you know, I think, I think one can, you can, I'm, I think my disposition is like, I've, I'll find a way to get stuff done. Do you know what I mean? And sometimes that serves me well. And sometimes it ends up with, you know, with me sort of like riding myself into the ground. Do you know what I mean? Like we all have mm-hmm. had periods in our life like that. But I think, you know, you sh- I'm, I work in music because, you know, I love music and, you know, I can't imagine what I would do if I didn't have this place to come to, <laughs> do you know what I mean? My self-made vacuum that I don't have to integrate with the outside world if totally. I don't want. <laughs> the lights of people with microphones and Yeah, I'm self-made taking... Self-made vacuum's quite a good band name. Self-made vacuum, yeah. <laughs> I'm taking my uh, escape to the to quite extreme lengths <laughs> <laughs> the um we've touched on it already a, a few bits maybe more on the art side of it but mental health is such a thing that has now thankfully been spoken yeah, i would argue yeah. by a lot of your acts yeah talking about it in the public eye younger people it's the most tweeted about thing just in their lives and that's mm. obviously something matty from 1975 is able to connect with on such a visceral visceral level mm. but it's not often spoken as much about in the people behind the scenes and the people mm. working in music um and you touched it on there it was a br- brilliant piece you said about the support you had from your your now wife and that's mm. a brilliant thing is there any other things you do because i mean uh, you know we've spoken to managers who have one act and they're stressed out because they're worrying about money you've got a whole bunch of acts <laughs> you've got 10 people being employed by you <laughs> you have a global what was it when the last album 1975 album came out it was number one in 70 countries or some nonsense <laughs> yeah, like that how like on that. earth I do you know. and there is a nice little candle sitting on the desk yeah, yeah, one it's tip. scented candles it's yeah. serene <laughs> how do you keep a lid on all that um <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Sounds like a lot, man. <laughs> so I didn't come here to freak you out. It looks like out. you've upset him just by saying that, Ali. <laughs> no, do you know what? I, I, um, I've got amazing staff. I'm fortunate enough to work with amazing artists. You know, we've got, you know, great partners around the world, you know. I mean, you know, it's not just me who has to carry it. I mean, I do, I do feel that stuff that you just said, like, you know, when, when like, you know, my, you know, I don't only really, I only really do this and my family life, this is kind of all I do. I don't really see people outside of work. And so I can sit, like my friends work here. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I do have some friends, but you know what I'm saying? So what what the reason I'm saying that is you know I do think about that stuff and I you like like Ed just had a baby and you know it, it feels like a ma- you know it's massive responsibility for him uh-huh. but you know I would be lying if I didn't say that I'm aware people have mortgages mm-hmm. and have their own shit to deal with and you know ha- some staff like mm-hmm. ha- you know need support from time to time on on a mental health level mm-hmm. and. You know, and and as do artists, of course, 
just because the nature of the job. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, I do feel that response. I do feel responsibility, mm-hmm. and sometimes it it does feel quite um, like a heavy load mm-hmm. for sure. But um, but you know, it's not heavier. Like I had a job fucking unloading Lynx lorries. Do you know what Lynx is? <laughs> yeah, the company Lynx yeah. with the massive lorries still on the yeah. motorway and late at night. Bloody hell! I was the guy who used to unload them. <laughs> All night long. Strength. While at university, <laughs> four nights a week, just so I could go to university. Yeah. Do you know Being what I mean? Being a mature student. Yeah. Well, I'm, well, I mean, I was even if I went as a as a kid, I was it was not my parents weren't going to pay for it just because they couldn't. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Um, I guess you could probably get grants then, mm-hmm. but I left. I mean, I left home when I was sixteen, so I didn't really stick around to see if <laughs> to see if you could further education <laughs> <laughs> at that point. But yeah, no, I definitely, um, I definitely, I definitely feel like a responsibility to the artists and people who work here, and I and I take that really seriously. And you know, and sometimes, like you know, Matthew's struggles have been quite well documented by now, and um, like that that was a really challenging time, you know, it was difficult, and it's more difficult because, you know, you sort of. You know, I like I, I have love for those people. Like, I, I love Matthew. Like, he's like, you know, one like I don't know, like my best friend or something. Yeah. So of course, like you feel you feel stuff, right? But I don't know if I've answered. Were you asking me if if I feel like I need support? Yeah, or if just if 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 just there's ways that you manage that and ways that you handle that. Yeah, I, I mean, I I run a lot. Good man. <laughs> Every Good man. day. <laughs> Every morning. Good man. Um, That's a, a beautiful tool for dealing with it. Yeah. Mm. And, you know, I sort of, I have a, I'm pretty happy home life. And, and yeah, no, I've, I, do you know what? How, however difficult things are, <laughs> I have, I'm pretty lucky. And, um, and yeah, like you make your own luck, of course. Mm-hmm. Like I strongly believe that, but I'm still feel like you know you can have the best plan in the world but if all you get is bad luck mm-hmm. then then just not then it's just gonna be bad luck yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean so I do feel like you know I, I guess what I'm saying is it's still first world problems right especially when I see all the shit that's going on in the world and Mm-hmm. you know I can cope with this mm-hmm. I can cope with making amazing records yeah. <laughs> and having <laughs> <Better perspective. laughs> and like public adulation <laughs> and awards yeah. and podcasts about me <laughs> yeah a better perspective so I made it <laughs> finally doing the promo <laughs> yeah. it's all about you in the first place yeah. it's taken me like 30 years <laughs> amazing I think we touch on a little bit now about sort of the future of the industry yeah. what you would like to see moving forward maybe for your acts your label but also the music industry and labels as a whole what you think you would like to see in the future more of in terms of I don't know anything from signings to the way records are looked at to management to any of those things hmm. um, well I mean I'm pretty I'm it's difficult for me because I'm not like the average manager like I haven't done a deal like a conventional record deal for like like over a decade, <laughs> because when I was looking at them at the beginning, like like the, I mean the numbers don't add up. Mm-hmm. I mean this I don't know how else to say it. Like this, it, like doesn't make when I look at it, mm-hmm. it, the numbers don't make any sense. 
so I stopped doing them and um, so for the future of the record industry it'd be great if more deals were kind of like our deals which are like profit splits mm-hmm. and I feel that we you know I feel the reason I think that's a better deal for the artist is because I still probably invest maybe more than majors I think I don't know because I, d- I haven't worked with them for a long time but um yeah, I feel, I feel like we invest really heavily. The artists get a bigger share. We don't take any ancillaries, you know, and they have total creative control and we will build a strategic plan with them so that they feel respected and mm-hmm. amplified and not coloured by other people's I like that phrase, opinions or viewpoints. Or taste, even. <laughs> um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I what for me personally, what I want to see is I want to just continue growing Dirty Hit so that it really does become like a genuine like alternative to signing to any other mm-hmm. label. So whether if you so historically the artists that might sign to Domino, I would like them to be thinking actually that label kind <laughs> of looks like they are the safest home let's mm-hmm. go there mm-hmm. do you know what I mean mm-hmm. and I would like the more commercial leaning artists to look at us and think well actually their creative's fucking on point and they're smashing it commercially mm-hmm. so maybe with us they can do that do you know what <laughs> I mean I don't know I just I really my hope for the future is just that I continue to build this in like a tasteful way I think it's really interesting when you said about you haven't done a, a regular deal for like 10 years. Yeah. And I think that's really important because there are younger managers out there who are inexperienced and they're just looking at the first deal on the table mm. and they're not necessarily looking into it. So I hope that hearing you say that and people listen to this podcast, mm-hmm. they'll think, hold a minute, I don't know if this deal is the right deal for my artist or me. And, mm. you know, you're very successful and you've not done a regular deal. So maybe I need to look at it differently and I need to look at independent yeah. JVs, whatever yeah, work yeah, yeah. for me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important. So I think it's also like, it's really important for a manager. And and like this is just my opinion. Mm-hmm. And like some may say, oh, it's easy for you to have that opinion because you're, you're successful. But this was mm-hmm. my opinion at the beginning. Yeah. And like, you know, I'm the guy who like, remortgage my house to start a label do you know what I mean so I don't mind like I'd, in fact I'd rather gamble on myself to yeah. be honest with you, <laughs> than on a random that's <laughs> you're in control yeah and um so what I was gonna say was it's you know um I, the, the model's kind of flawed because uh, like historically like a manager needs to commission a deal to live. Mm-hmm. A lawyer needs an artist to do a deal to get paid. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, well, okay, but you know, but you both represent the artist. Mm-hmm. So your need to get paid is secondary to their need for a good deal or good, the best possible terms. Totally. Um, and the same applies to a manager, really. And if the de- if you know, if you're signing deals to get your twenty percent, then you're probably going to get fired before those deals mean anything material financially, anyway. Because no one gets risk. No one gets rich off an advance, right? You get rich off business terms. Do you know what I mean? Not advances. Advances are f- 
schmucks, you know what I mean? But it's true, though, isn't it? Yeah, totally. Really. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's, it's, it's shortcut. It's, mm. it's, it's blinding you into submission. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Which I suppose has gone back to what you were talking about earlier of all that initial upfront chase. Yeah. And then you get with a label with some labels and then, yeah. it's, and then it's gone and you're like, where's all that? Where's but you know what? You'll be surprised to hear that I'm not anti-labels. Oh. Like I'm, mm. I think, you know, <laughs> there's, it's very de jour like to say you don't need a label. Like, I mean, I've experienced it myself. I had someone sat in my office for a meeting uh-huh. with a record label and they're telling me, with their new artists, telling me they, they don't want a record deal. And I'm just like, I, I just felt saying, well, why the fuck are you here? Because <laughs> like, <laughs> we're a record company and you're a manager. Uh-huh. So the artist has a manager. Yeah. <laughs> like, so, why are you here? It's like, and obviously like, you know, if, if you chance the rapper, mm-hmm. then yeah, mm. you probably, you, you're, then you're cool. You don't need a label. Mm-hmm. You just need some, distribution with services set up yeah. but you know most of these artists saying there's only labels are not chance the rap yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean I'm sure like many of them will succeed without labels and like I love this guy Roy Blair and I really want to sign him and he's yeah. amazing if you guys haven't checked out you should check yeah, it out it's fucking definitely. brilliant um he's like he's doing like half a million monthly listeners on Spotify right. um my favorite art my favorite unsigned artist at the moment would sign him in a heartbeat, but they mm-hmm. don't want to do a deal. Right. Because they just don't want to be on any label. And I respect that, do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Um, but I do feel that there's always going to be labels. Yeah. Because there's always going to be artists who need labels to invest in their careers, mm-hmm. you know? And, you know, there's always going to be people like Matthew Healy who have amazing ideas, <laughs> you know? and need someone to help them execute them you know you, you there's always going to be the need for collaborators and that's how what i see my label is it's a it's really an artist partnership tool mm-hmm. you know that's all it i mean it is a label but it's a it's a partnership it's not about you know ac- ac- just acquiring rights mm-hmm. and not investing and not adding value and not building a career it's mm-hmm. the it's it's about total investment emotionally financially like creatively you know oh, there's always going to be labels well at least at least i think so yeah and that yeah. translates with that even when you're looking at videos yeah. and you're seeing all the artists pop up in one one band's yeah, video it's yeah, like yeah. even that simple tool is like yeah. well this feels like yeah. it like, feels nice when you walk yeah in the office. and i think the artist yeah that are that way inclined will find uh, us anyway i mean i don't really look for it for artists to be honest uh, with you they always just like mm. they just serendipity yeah always did you always. ever see that um Zunchi was saying about not being anti-label the 30 seconds to mars documentary they no. did. did you ever see it where it was when they were making was it like the third album with flood and he was desperately trying to get off his label deal. Oh, really? And he was, he was, and he explained in layman's terms, like you know, they take eighty percent, I get twenty percent. They spend this much, I never recoup. And he, he basically the whole documentary is him hating on his label. And at the end, it was, it says, 
And then he went back to his label because he realised he couldn't do it all on his own. He needed the global outreach. So it's the best sort of like weird comeback at the end. It's almost like you think the label made him put that on the thing to be like, well, actually, you came back to us because you realised you couldn't do it all on your own. He's and a weird you dude, the though, global isn't he? like team here. So I like really him, but he's a fucking weirdo. But yeah, the, it's just so funny because he's on a rant for the entire entire documentary. He's like, I'm going to do it by myself. Yeah. I'm going to do everything. And then it's just at the end, he's just like, oh, we just signed another deal because I don't want just want to be an artist I don't have to think about the business side <laughs> that was his reason so I just think when you said that it's really interesting I think a lot of people have that thing I, I suppose that's why a lot of people use majors isn't it it's because you feel like necessarily you could majors but labels like you as well you can get so far on your own but then when you need that global pickup and that mm. global outreach and you you and as an artist, you don't necessarily want to think about that side. You want to just concentrate on your art. Yeah, That's yeah, when a label yeah, and your manager, of course, yeah, yeah, come yeah. into But honestly, like, I mean, you know, I have, like, strategic partnerships with majors. And for that reason. And, like, John Janik in America has been a huge champion of Dirty Hair. Like, the biggest champion of Dirty Hair. You know what I mean? He's, like, one of my dear friends. And David Joseph in the UK. Like, mm-hmm. I'm a huge champion of Dirty Hair. You know, and it would surprise people actually, I think, to to know like quite how much of a champion someone like that has been. Do you know what I mean? And and sometimes it's you know it's not about like like uh, like deals or you know market share or whatever. However, people dress it up. It's um, you know, I think you know these people like started working in music for the same reason that we did. Do you know what I mean? Like, I started working in music because I love music, you know. And so did most people who, who work in music. So I think, um, you know, I, there's no... Honestly, there's no right or wrong way to do stuff. There's just a way that works for you, I find, in life. And, you know, and, I, and you know, I really hope that we get to work with, like, loads more amazing artists. I can't, I can't imagine sort of what life would be like without that possibility do you know what I mean mm-hmm. and 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 I guess maybe that's why I feel like for labels like Dirty Hit you know we're always going to have like artists who want to be here because I think so, I think that culture like is quite um you know I think when I I think when I talk to artists and we talk like this I think they really believe it you know mm-hmm. because it is the truth yeah. whereas if <laughs> you know it's that's the thing about me that like, I can be quite convincing when I'm telling the truth but I'm like the worst <laughs> fucking liar in the world <laughs> I'm not very good at being dishonest because I'm you know I'm just I just I, yeah I'm just not that's a lovely. That's a lovely place to kind of try and draw it to a close. A little. I've never. I've never heard that phrase. I'm very convincing when I'm telling the truth before. <laughs> but do you know what I mean. I feel, it's really, I feel it's so obvious. Of, I feel so <laughs> passionate about what I do. <laughs> Just a quick one to end on, which is always a nice one. I think uh, is, what was the best piece of advice someone's ever given you? My. <laughs> my wife's gonna love this. <laughs> we'll say. We'll say you like to say. Yeah. Um, she. Um, you know, in in one's life, business life, you sort of you come across lots of different types of people and et cetera, et cetera. And one of the things that I've experienced is um one of one of my pet hates is sort of uh, uh like injustice. Yeah. <laughs> and um you know, so there's been there's been times where I've in my working life where where things have happened and people have 
things have happened and people have been dishonest. Yeah, they've, they've lied about stuff, and um, and my wife's always been like I'm quite I'm quite passionate about stuff, and I find it really hard to not say exactly what I'm thinking, and um, and a lot and I ha- and sometimes and like this is actually important. From every manager out there, <laughs> if you listen to nothing, <laughs> heed this. <laughs> you know, sometimes, well, what I was going to say as advice, what I would say is first of all, it's like, you know, sometimes you should just let other people do the talking and just see where it lands, you know, because sometimes when you're doing deals, especially, people talk themselves into a corner and they hate silence. So just, just have a bit of silence in your meeting. <laughs> right? And, um, but anyway, my wife was saying to me that, um, you know, through our lives, like stuff happens, and we ha- we're not we're powerless over it for the most part. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, in the short term, it m- might make us look bad, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and my wife's always been like, "Yeah, but the truth always comes out. You just got to sort of just got to hang tough and know that if you keep your side of the street clean, mm-hmm. soon enough, people will be like." Oh shit, your side's clean. Do you know what I mean? And that's what happens. Perfect. Amen. One last question, and it might be it might be a stupid one, considering the room we're sitting in here. We've got you know gold records on the wall. We've got sold out Madison Square Garden. <laughs> through God knows what else. And modest, a, modest. Awards galore. <laughs> what is the one? What, what is the one moment? And and maybe let's say the last ten years when you've gone, fuck, this is really going right. Um. But the moment you've been most proud. Of an artist. Yeah, let me think, because it's because it's often not 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 what you would mm-hmm. think. Yeah. Um, oh, I don't know. Most proud. <laughs> Most people would say, like, I was given this George Martin A and R Award, right? Yeah. Which is pretty amazing, and um. And and Matthew from nineteen five like presented it to me and that was like incredible and it's mm-hmm. like a real sort of like I, I was actually in shock actually. I couldn't I couldn't quite comprehend mm-hmm. what was going on and it was it was bizarre. So one would think it's those uh-huh. type of things, but it wasn't yeah. at all. Like it's always been I don't know. Like when the Japanese house album was such a mission to make. <laughs> and um, she was she she entered it, started. She's so fragile at the beginning, and has subsequently become this really kind of visceral, like powerful, you mm-hmm. know, respected, like critically acclaimed kind of writer, producer, <laughs> musician. So it's that sort of stuff, but it wasn't that either. It's more I don't know. I think I don't know. I don't know. I I never honestly. I never think. I never look at things like that. Uh-huh. I I'm t- I like everyone here always says to me and like and bands I work with that I never sort of. I never really sort of. I'm never in the moment. It's so <laughs> it's like. Do you know what I mean? This is turning into like a <laughs> just another therapy session. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> therapy session. You should be sending oh, you wanted, you wanted mental health. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't know what I'm most proud of. I'm most, I'm most proud of 
I don't know. I, I guess it's it feels egotistic. It feels boastful. I don't know what I'm proud of. I I'm just doing what we said we were gonna do. Mm-hmm. You know, just we're just gonna keep making. Matthew and I sort of made a commitment to each other that we were just gonna make <laughs> as many records as we possibly could that we are proud of by as many artists as we can before the end of days <laughs> that is a good goal and a good place to finish <laughs> nice one well thank you very much Jamie thank you for giving us some thank time thank you so much it's been amazing thank you for giving us those wonderful perils of wisdom oh my god is the end of days is the end of days the apocalypse huh? yeah the apocalypse. <laughs> apocalypse the impending apocalypse yep it's coming soon you know apparently so don't it's doubt it nothing about <laughs> <laughs> so, well no I know I understand <laughs> Oh, what a man. Uh, we can't thank Jamie enough for giving us his time. Originally, he'd said, yeah, come down to the office, I'll put you in for 45 minutes, and we thought, amazing, that is more than enough. I flew down from Glasgow just on that day just to do that interview. We ended up talking for, I'd say, around about two hours. Yeah, he was amazing, and there was just so much knowledge. I was fascinated, and oh, I think we say, he said in the interview about how, you know, we went into this room that was all full of all the plaques and all the amazing things he's done, but he was just, I can genuinely say, the nicest, most down-to-earth guy. Like, you would want to just go for a pint with him and chat about the world. It was an amazing interview. And it's amazing, like, a guy like that has been with his, you know, his biggest artist, Matty, since Matty was 16 years old, and they have grown and flourished and come to dominate the world of pop music together which is a nice thing full disclosure here ali i am a bit of a 1975 fangirl so that bit in the interview where jamie was talking about hearing the demo of robbers i think for the first time and he said the words i feel the same way about that song as i did the first time i heard it and that just literally made my little heart just jump for joy i love the thought the fact that a manager just is so passionate and has heard a song and has never lost his sort of love for it and I think that's so important and it's probably why or one of the reasons why he is such a successful manager today. Don't forget to subscribe on whatever podcast service or app you use so you get the next episode straight into your feed and if you felt like being super kind please leave us a review it would help us spread these stories far and wide. You can also let us know what you thought of the first episode via our Twitter it's at manage that pod. So thanks so much for listening, guys. We will be back next week with a new episode and more insights from another amazing music manager. How Did You Manage That is brought to you by the MMF and sponsored by AWOL. The podcast is produced and hosted by Sophie Pallock and Ali McRae. Original music by Callum Wiseman.